What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the First Timers Podcast Show, where we offer insight, tips, and advice for first-time or long-time home buyers, sellers, investors, and homeowners. I'm your host, Michael Timpani, Mikey T. Demeni, New Jersey licensed home inspector, builder, investor, homeowner, and licensed real estate agent. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at First Timers Podcast Show. So today we are going to spotlight our realtors in the area, and um, this guy is pretty special in our area because I found him online, and he's doing some pretty cool stuff. So, uh, and he has not—I haven't been reached out to him uh, by him yet, so I'm not going to hold that against him. But (laughs) anyway, I'm still going to right on on air. (laughs) Yeah, right on air. So I'd like to introduce you to DJ Tenhove. I'm saying that correctly. You got it. Nobody gets it right, so thank you. Yeah, DJ Tenhove, David. David John. David John is really is what his get, mom get yells at him. Um, that's his <laughs> government name. He's a realtor and team leader of the Tenhove Realty Group, flying under the Keller Williams Central Monmouth flag, out of uh, over here in Monmouth County, New Jersey. Uh, you can follow him on uh, I know Instagram at DJ Tenhove ten one zero and his Realty Group Tenhove Realty. And uh, today um, it's awesome ju- to have you here and to have you. Uh, spotlighted and shed some uh for for me i'd love to just learn how you uh started you know in real estate and became um this uh luxury real estate agent in our area you have some uh, pretty sick listings um i have access to the mls so i i was able to snoop and um (laughs) you do have like a ridiculous listing at like 13 million dollars um which when you get yeah yeah just by chance and and when you get when you become licensed like that's exactly uh what you're you know most everyone's kind of aiming for so we're we're definitely going to dive into that that's fair but before we even get there and we you know i get nosy about your luxury uh you know clientele i want to learn about what did you do before becoming a real estate agent and uh, what brought you into the world of real estate and, um, you know, how we got to where we are today. Well, first off, thanks for having me. I appreciate being on here. I was telling you earlier, this is actually my first podcast, so take it easy on me. <laughs> um, so my background, uh, how I got to real estate, I think everybody has a creative story to this, right? But I grew up in a family-owned construction business, a residential construction business up in Bergen County that's still in operation. Um, my dad started that right out of high school, basically. So I grew up doing odds and ends and working summers and picking up nails off the, the ground when they were doing yeah, roofing yeah. jobs, like all the stuff your dad yep. wants to make you do so you don't end up going into their business. <laughs> it worked. So then I, I graduated high school. He wanted me to go to college, get a desk job, wear a suit, go work in an air-conditioned office. So I did. I went to college, got a degree, went to work in an office and hated it. Absolutely mm-hmm. hated it. It just wasn't in my DNA. So I did it for a year and a half, was working in a medical education um, marketing firm. And then I saw all of these sales hold, hold on. Magic, uh, medical education marketing. Is that like the people that show up at the doctor's office? No. It's, well, it's, uh. it's like the Viagra commercials. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so the commercials you see for drug yeah. for, for pharmaceuticals online, okay. it would be a company that would help the pharmaceutical company dive, figure out what the marketing campaign and advertising campaign would be. And specifically the portion that I was doing was they would bring physicians out all over the country to teach them how to speak on those products and the sales reps would go with them. So I'd go out there trying to set these meetings up for people and I'd see what a great time the sales reps were having with the physicians. And I was like, that's the job I need to go yeah. do. So I worked myself into a Fortune 100 uh, medical company, did that awesome. from 2003 until 2016, and then overlapped with that in real estate. So basically while I was there, unfortunately, I kept seeing every November, and this is like a, a given in that industry, that there's a culling that happens every November, right around the holidays, like the worst time to possibly do it. They just, they cut back the sales force and they lay people off. And Jeez. every year I would see that my mentors in the business, the, the, the guys who were like 60, 61, just getting almost to the point where they were ready to get their full medical benefits and pension and all that stuff, they'd get clipped. So I started to see, like, there's no way I'm ever going to make this yeah. to the end. I've got to figure out another way out of this because there's no way I'm going to work 30 years in this business and make it that far. So I thought about, okay, now I know how to sell. I grew up in a construction business. Let me go figure out what I can do to put those two things together. And naturally, real estate worked. Plus, it was something I could do part-time while I was still working my other career. So I really had two full-time jobs 
from the time I got licensed in 2008 until 2016 when I left that company. Mm-hmm. Wow. So crazy history of how I got here, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, wh- when you went into real estate and started going back into that uh, that home field, uh, you know, what was your parents uh, thinking? I like to tell people I'm the most overeducated real estate agent in history. That's <laughs> like a super insult, right? Ivy League yeah. education. Parents are really happy they paid two hundred thousand dollars for an. What, what school did you go to? I went to Columbia University in Manhattan. <laughs> Holy, Columbia! And I'm sitting here with a real estate license that I did. All I need is a GED for. <laughs> so go figure. But it truly, you're always a result of your experiences, yes, right? Absolutely. So, it's not like I did all that in vain and it didn't work out. I'm who I am because of those experiences. Yeah. So mom and dad actually were not unhappy that I decided to get into real estate. I think dad was probably happy because I was using some of the knowledge I got from growing up in a construction business and then yes. put that to use. And that's something that I really hang my hat on in the real estate business is understanding the home building process and the construction and the details. Yes, definitely. And uh, I, I have to agree with you there because um, I know my own father, you know, Growing up, I've been doing construction my whole life. Third generation. Uh, my father's a mason, so I grew up doing masonry work. Mm-hmm. Um, r- going to the job sites on the back of a pickup truck and, you know, and then going from there, learning. My brother and myself, we created our company in 1999, doing masonry work. Then we branched into carpentry, general contracting. And uh, I think there's something there that even though – your your parents don't want you to do that, uh, but I think there's something still in their heart that they, they want you to be involved in it in, in some way. Yeah, and I think I, I, I regret that also, that I didn't have more of an interest in that business from the get-go, because even if I had gone the path that I am right now, there's a huge opportunity and a void within the real estate business to really be able to do both parts of that, right? So think about the design-build architecture firms that are out there now that are both doing construction and architecture. What if you were able to fold that in with a real estate business and have design, build, and real estate all under the same roof? Yeah. And now if a customer comes to you and says, well, I want to buy a house that's already there, but I want to renovate it, we can do that. You want to buy a piece of land and build a house from scratch, we can do that. We not only handle the construction and the architecture, but we could also handle the sale and, and purchase of the property. Yeah. So maybe a far-off goal of mine would be to build that all under the I th- same I think roof. We're, we're getting a glimpse of the future here. It, maybe. We've <laughs> got a lot, of, a lot of big things that I haven't planned, so we'll see which actually get accomplished. Yeah, we we have nothing but time on our hands, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, not enough of that. So you, you were doing real estate full time as well as your other full time job. Um, when you branched into real estate, uh, imagining your sphere from going to Columbia and where you were working, uh, how did that um, attribute to you starting and getting work into real estate? a great question. And unfortunately, it really had nothing to do with how I've gotten (laughs) to this point um, intentionally. So because of some rules that I have within the company I was working for, I wasn't able to utilize any of my contacts there because I was moonlighting basically a job that I was allowed to do, but just not during company hours. So when I was working nights and weekends, I couldn't solicit the same clientele I was working with or people I was working with or working for. And also with my college contacts, I really have never gone back and leveraged those. A lot of them came from other parts of the country, didn't settle everywhere around here, or maybe they're just in Manhattan, which is not the market that I work. Um, But I still, to this day, have actually not gone back to either college uh, network or my past careers and leveraged any of that for business. Wow. So at the time I was building the business here, I kind of had to do it on the DL almost. And in real estate, that's the hardest thing to do, right? You have Absolutely. to tell everybody you have a real estate license if they're going to work with you. Yeah. Well, if you can't tell people you have a real estate license, you're trying to build a ghost real estate business, which is really challenging. So I grew up in Bergen County, settled down here in 2007, which was a year before I got my license. So although I was working in the same state, I was really a brand new area, no network, no experience in real estate. So it was really like building a brand new business from scratch without any leverage. Sure. So, so what did that look like? I mean, we're talking, uh, you were saying 2000 and... I got licensed in 2008. It took the course in 07, finished, and then got licensed yeah, in the summer. 2008, right? I mean, that's, the mark was crap, right? I love watching your face as you're doing that math in your head right now. You're <laughs> like, wait, I'm pretty sure the market tanked yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, in 2007. It, it, was, it really wasn't great. It wasn't what today's market is. No, it's very different. And I got that question a lot. It was like, why are you going into real estate? It's like the worst time you could have possibly yeah, chosen to yeah. do this. But I kind of figured that... If I could grow a business in the downturn of the economy, even if I did one or two deals a year while it was a part-time thing for me, 
I'd understand the business to the degree that when the market swung back again, I'd be ahead of everybody else, which is kind of what we're seeing right now, right? Mm -hmm. Market swung back in the last three, four years. Yeah. Everybody wants to get a real estate license. And now you're trying to compete with whatever can fall in your lap versus actually having a network of people that you can draw on. Sure. So your question was, what did that look like when I got started? It's the same thing it does for everybody, which is asking your friends and family members can, to do business with you or finding somebody who's got an open house in the, in the office that you can sit the open house for and then just building that snowball effect. Yeah. One client into two clients into four clients into eight. Now, who were you licensed with at the time? I've only ever been licensed with Keller Williams. Oh, okay. So straight out of the gate. I actually, while I was getting my real estate license, I read the Millionaire Real Estate Agent book, which for most people is like the Bible of real estate. Yep. Thought it was genius. Figured there was probably not a Keller Williams office anywhere around me, and then happened to find out that the West Monmouth office in Marlboro had opened, I think, a year before that. So it was just dumb luck. Wow. And uh, you, the broker owner there is uh, someone who's an amazing, amazing person. Yeah. So that's built an amazing business. Yeah, for sure. Um, Keller has been a great place for us as a, a business model for us to build our business within. So, yeah, we have a team and it's great for single agents. It's great for small teams, large teams. Um, and there's a lot of interesting brokerages that exist out there now. But at the time, it was very forward thinking, even in 2008, compared to what the traditional brokerage. Yeah, are. absolutely. So going, um, transitioning out of two full time jobs and making that move into this is what I'm going to do now. Um, at that point, how busy were you? Were you? Uh, what was your market like? Where were you kind of uh, situated at? Yeah, so that was 2016. By that point, I had already actually brought on the, I brought my wife onto the business. So Nikki, who's the magic and the success that we have is all due to her. So everything you think I can do, <laughs> she can do better. <laughs> That's And she's not even here to, to be like nudging me to tell you that. Yeah. Um, but she was working in medical sales also at the same time that I was. And then in 2012, 2013, uh, we have like a heartbreaking story. You, like your kids want you to be around more often, right? So yeah. my, my wife was working a medical sales job where she was traveling all the way out to Pennsylvania and doing overnights for morning in services with hospitals. And I got the kids up for daycare one morning and my son comes over to me and says, Why, where's mommy? And I said, well, she's at the hospital. She had to sleep over in a hotel last night. She'll be back later. And he goes, daddy, how come mommy can't just have one job? Why does mommy have to have two jobs? I didn't want to tell him she actually had three jobs because she was doing real estate, she was doing her main job, and she was mommy. But his answer was, why can't he be more like Dylan's mommy? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, Dylan's mommy only has one job. She's only got to be mommy. How come my mommy has to have two jobs? And it was like the knife through the heart for me that I couldn't even figure out how to share that with my wife. Long story short, she decided to leave the medical job that she was doing very well in, come into the real estate business. Um, which was a leap off the cliff, right? You're losing some healthcare benefits, you're losing guaranteed income, you're losing bonus structure. So for us, it was the first leap off the cliff. And the business went from, I think, closing 15 transactions the year before she joined me full-time to 35 Wow! in one year. So she really was implemental in coming in and helping us develop the systems and the processes to make the business scalable and to make it run better. Um, and she, everything that I'm good at, she's she's also good at, but everything I'm terrible at, she's great at. So it's yeah. a good compliment, the two of us together. So that was 2016 when I left the business. That was 2013, excuse me. By 2016, we were probably doing about 50 units a year. And that was about the time we started to actually bring people into the business to work with us and grow the team. Mm -hmm. So we've had some setbacks and anybody who's built a team kind of knows that or any business where you're hiring people into it, you've got some growth, you've got to take a couple steps back, then you got to go forward a little bit. Right now, we have a fantastic team that's four producing real estate agents, including myself, uh, Nikki, who's our director of operations, Lydia and John that are both marketing and back office staff. So really, you have about an eight-person team of which four people are producing agents yeah, and very high productivity, meaning that we're doing $111 million in sales between four real estate agents, one who just got licensed nine to ten wow. months ago. Wow, wow, wow. I mean... It, I, I could uh, I could understand uh, a little bit of what your the situation with your wife and that uh, wor I mean many of us especially in the real estate world have worked multiple jobs before choosing one right. I, I don't know I even our own uh, New Jersey realtor president this year I mean he worked a sec second job or his first job before real estate became his for his only job. Um, and I, I was, I'm just like many, many of us. Um, I worked 
nights for the last 15 years. Right. And and dealt with hearing from my own kid's mouth, you know, why did I have to leave every night? And it, it's tough. And um, But it's the hustle you have to do to get to a place where you are now, right? Yeah, absolutely. You wouldn't be the person you are. You wouldn't have the business you have if you hadn't done that. And you also wouldn't appreciate yeah. the things in your life yeah. that you appreciate now. And and have empathy for other people that yeah. are going through similar things. And and most of us in this business are doing that. Most agents are not full-time, although they portray they're full-time, and they're trying to work full-time. And they're answering phone calls and doing all this crazy stuff, trying to build a career in, in real estate while having that nine-to-five that's making sure that their mortgage is paid every month. Um, so it, it is a, it's a huge leap for anybody starting their own business. But um, it's, yeah. I mean, it's the greatest thing and the most challenging thing about being a real estate agent, right? It's the easiest, one of the easiest careers to get into because for 450 bucks, you can get your license, you can take the exam and move <laughs> on and get your fingerprints done, get your license and go hang it somewhere. And now there's most places don't charge you a desk fee. So other than your 1500 bucks or so a year to keep your license active, really doesn't cost you much. So from an yeah. overhead perspective, it's one of the cheapest businesses you can get into. But at the same time, for agents that are doing this as a full-time professional career, that could be really frustrating when you're on the other side of a transaction from somebody who is finding their way through the business in the yeah. dark. <laughs> yeah, And we've all been there on both yeah. sides of that. Yeah, exactly. I, I think everyone that gets licensed, you start off on that other side, mm -hmm. just trying to, it's funny, like the real estate business, it's a, uh, when you look at it, especially now with social media, it's very easy for real estate to look glamorous mm -hmm. and like, wow, look at what this guy has and look at the car they're driving and look at all the, all these listings and everything. And everyone's kind of already counting your commission <laughs> checks in their head because we all know pretty much what commissions are and everyone's, you know, it, but most people don't see the, the struggle and the time it takes to go from listing and, and selling $250,000 single family homes or condos that are a hundred thousand or whatever to listing a $13 million house. Like there it's not, unless you are the spouse of the person or you're the person that owns the $13 million home and got a real estate license. And now you're like, Hey, I'm listing my own house and now I'm a million dollar lister. Right. Um, it's not that easy. It's, it's a lot of time and work and everyone that I know that's successful and that does list uh, some, you know, amazing homes. It wasn't the the agent that's been doing it since uh, you know two years ago. It's it's no, you're you're 100 right on that. I mean, it's a frustrating part of the business when you first get into it. You look at the people that are doing the business, whether it's volume or price point that you're trying to do, and you're like, well, I'm just as smart as that person. How come I can't get those opportunities? And real estate is a type of experience or a business where it is equally, if not more, who you know than what you know, mm -hmm. and it. I remember being at the, I mean, it happens to me on a weekly basis still, but I remember being in the in the beginning of my career going, I deserve that listing. How come I didn't get it? You know, why did that person get it? I know they're not committed like I am, or they don't necessarily know as much about the house, but you have to fight that battle and lose those, those battles, not the war, to win the war, right? So that you can keep building and building and building and eventually not lose the listing because of your track record, because now you have the track record to lean on. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to do that in the beginning when you haven't sold a house before. How do you <laughs> yeah. convince a stranger to agree to list their $750,000 house with you when you've never sold a home before? Yeah. It's hard. It's really <laughs> hard. No matter how good a salesperson you are, when they yeah. ask this one question, what did you sell this year in my neighborhood? Yeah. And you're like, well, I didn't just sell anything in your neighborhood, but I haven't sold anything. <laughs> yeah, I haven't sold That's a really thing. hard fact to, to yeah. get out of your mouth. So, yeah, it, it takes a while. I mean, there are people in the business that were born into the business, right? They're a second-generation real estate mm -hmm. agent. Or they decided to get their license later on in, in their life. And because of the social circles that they, they frequent, they have access to that type of clientele. Yeah. So that does exist. And I think in any market that's going to be there. But there is the predominance of the people that are listing in that price range are people who worked their way up from the bottom. You don't just start listing five, yeah. $10 million houses. No, I mean, I'm 13, almost 14 years in the business. This is by far the biggest listing I've had. Yeah. So how did you go from listing or just, you know, open houses at day one into this new market that you're in this? I mean, once you list in, in that over million dollar range, it, does put you in a different kind of bracket, I would imagine. I mean, I, I'm going to put an asterisk after that yeah. one and say once you sell 
in that yeah, place, okay, right? okay, yeah, yeah. Then it opens you up to it. And I'm trying to be cautious about yeah. that because to having a $13 million listing is great, but if it doesn't sell, then you're just the guy who listed a $13 yeah. million house. True, true, sell. true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but so, you, you've closed on some very impressive properties also. I mean, it, you know, this isn't um, that you just got into the business and here's your $13 million true, listing. True. Like I said, I've done some investigating. <laughs> <laughs> I know how much commission you make. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically um, public information. Yeah, right? yeah. But, but you know, it, it's it's a lot of work and, and also planning, I think, there had to be planning along the way with you, your wife, your yeah. team of how you're going to brand yourself and gear yourself and what market you're going to uh, attack and, and try to be a part of. Um, you know, what was that process like going from, you know, it probably just wanting work and building, uh, you know, a resume right. to, hey, I think now we need to um, brand ourselves to to be this certain type of uh, team. So we, part of the reason why we started at Keller Williams is I love the idea of having the ability to market ourselves as a team or as a business, a DBA. And that Keller is open to that and also allows you to build a team structure underneath their brokerage, which at the time, this was really one of the few places you could do that. Now yeah, it's become- Everywhere. Now it's everywhere. Now there's you know 20 different brokerages, if not more, that allow you to do that, plus the boutique brokerages. But at the time, this was pretty novel. And for me, with, a, with sort of a, a hobby or an interest in marketing and branding, that was very interesting to me. So from the very beginning, we actually branded ourselves as the Ten Hove Realty Group, um, except for maybe the first year and a half that I was in the business with two other gentlemen that were also in medical sales that decided to do the same thing as me. We basically took the first initials of our last name and put them together, but we're an informal team. We didn't actually have a business entity set up. We didn't share any of the commissions or that. After that sort of fell by the wayside and everybody went their own ways, it was probably 20 10, 2011, when I decided to brand ourselves as the Ten Hove Realty Group, which at the time was really just me with Nikki that was helping us out. Yeah. Um, and, and she grew into that role far more than just being helping us out. So I knew from the clientele that I was servicing in my sales job, in the medical sales job, that I could I could speak to people who were affluent. I could speak to you know high-end physicians that made money and were probably in multi-million dollar houses. So my goal was always to get into that part of the business, which I think anybody's goal, right? You're talking about the highlight reel of Instagram and social media. Everybody sees the sexy houses, the big price points. That's what everyone's goal is because you figure if it's the same amount of work and I can make a commission on a $13 million yeah. sale compared to a $130,000 sale, then okay. Yeah, that only makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, but I also, if you remember, the time frame I got into the business was 2007, 2008, when the market was just crashing. And I was seeing luxury real estate agents that were dying, if not dead already. They had built their business only on the luxury price point, and that market tanked. Yeah. The market that came back quicker is always going to be the market that's the entry-level price point. So I went into this kind of learning that lesson from other people and saying, I obviously would like to do the luxury business, but I'd like to be able to service every clientele along the way from a $100,000 piece of property all the way up to whatever the highest end properties in the county are going to be and set the business up to be able to service each person at the same level. I don't believe in giving everybody the same service. I think that's a misnomer for a lot of people. Yeah. Not everybody deserves the same level of service. doesn't mean you shouldn't take care of every client and do the same thing, but a $13 million listing requires a very different marketing approach than a $100,000 property. Absolutely. And then it was just really a snowball of trying to start with wherever I could find business and then just take that, provide great service to that client and ask for more business and grow and double and double and double. And we pretty much doubled business every year from one to four, one to two to four to eight transactions over the first six years in the business, we did some investment into Zillow in the beginning to try to get more buyer leads to grow the transactions we were doing. But we we dumped Zillow about five years ago and basically said, this is a business that's trying to put our business out of business. <laughs> Absolutely. Why am I going to fund my competition? Yeah. And I get why people do it. And, and there's no doubt that there is a return on that investment, mm -hmm. but it's it's fueling the enemy. So we, we washed that. And now our business is really about 80% of our business comes from past client referrals, past clients, or sphere of influence, which was the, the goal we were trying to get to, which was switching from 75% advertised business and 25% people who know you yeah. to flipping that and get to 75% people who know you business because that's the less expensive and warmer touches. Absolutely. And Zillow's very expensive. <laughs> yes. It was expensive when we, do, when we were doing it. And then you know over the last five years, it's only gotten more expensive. Yeah. And the quality of those leads has gotten worse. Yeah. But look, it was a great place 
for us to grow our business, to create the foundation for it. And then we were able to use that to, to shut that off and, and grow from there just based on customer service and relationships. Um, so I, I bought in Coltsnack in 2007, and that was the market I decided to go after. And then really just hit that market on social media with information and facts about what was happening in the real estate market every single month. So people started to think of me as like the Coltsnack guy. Yeah. And that took a long time. But what, we, what I was also doing in addition to just marketing to that Coltsnack crowd was I would chase the business wherever it was within Monmouth County. It seems like it's changed over the last eight years or so, but before that, historically, real estate agents did business in one or two towns. Mm-hmm. You were like, you were the Rumson person, you yeah. were the little silver person, or you were the freehold person. And they were okay with doing business in maybe the two or three towns that were on the periphery of that, but that was it. You wouldn't go any further than that. When I started in the business, I would take the business wherever it would come to me. I would go chase it in Atlantic Highlands, go chase it in Northern Ocean County. And we've built the business now that we can, we've had success and a track record of selling in every single town in Monmouth County a lot of Northern Ocean County, and then we expanded the business up to Bergen County as well. So that that helped too in being able to grow the numbers was being open to business, not just in the one town we were living in. Yeah, especially at the time, like you said, agents at that time, um, everyone was kind of like, who's the strong person in what area? Right. You know, and uh, even when I purchased my home in West Long Branch, we, we went with the, the guy that was the West Long Branch guy. And everybody in that town knew him and and people that would list would primarily call him. And I have to say, you know, unfortunately for him, um, things have changed, like you said, and the signs are much different on the lawns than they were then. And it's, uh, you know, it's the reality of like the world we're in now. I think we're in a much more uh, expanded world. Uh, I, I, I work with agents that are from North Jersey that do a lot of work in Southern Ocean County. And, and right. I mean, everyone's kind of like spread way, way more than they used to be. Um, and I don't know if that, if that's good or bad. Um, I th- I still think if you're, if you're trying to attack a certain type of market, you have to be from that area because that that's the only way you could truly understand yes. your client, like the, the people that you're, you're looking to market to. Yeah. Um, and that, that goes back to you moved into Colts Neck and, you're around people that are the people that you want to sell to. Yeah. So it, it just makes, it, to me, it makes complete Yeah, sense. but I think you're you're 100% right, which is it's still a hyper-local business, right? The guy who sold in West Long Branch was the guy because he knew everything that was happening in West Long Branch. He could probably tell you what sold, what was coming on the market before it ever was recorded. And that still is the reason why real estate agents are and will be important forever. It's the reason why I don't think that the disruption of online brokerages or automation will ever put real estate agents out of out of business because you will still what I always tell people is you still want someone to scream at. Yeah. When a house doesn't sell or you get an offer you don't like, you still want to have a human to scream at. And I also think it's price point driven, right? So different parts of the country average price points are different, but once you get above the average price point, I think people still want to have a person to person contact. They want to have a relationship with somebody. They're yeah. hiring someone to do this for them. There are always going to be the people at, at whatever price point or, or or what I think will happen under the average price point that will want somebody to I just want the cheapest thing. I want to hire somebody over the internet and just make it painless. I don't care yeah. if it's the best person for the job or if I'm losing a little bit of money because I'm only paying four ninety nine or whatever that is. Um, but yeah, I think that what you're seeing right now with agents spreading themselves to a larger geography is two things. One, it's the world's just gotten smaller. With social media, everything is at your fingertips and it seems like the entire universe is right around you. So you can now chase things all over the state and do business all over. I think it's spreading yourself too thin for sure. Absolutely. Because New Jersey is also one of the craziest states in the entire country with MLS boards. We've got like 14 (laughs) MLS boards in the state. You have to have membership access to every one of those to do business, not to close business, but to have search access to that or to have super key access to it. And it's really frustrating. I also think the other reason why we're seeing that more in the last two years than before is that the market's condensed so much that agents are so hungry for business because mm-hmm. there's fewer deals to go around that they're chasing the business because they finally have a buyer. Yeah. And rather than referring that out to somebody and taking a 25% referral on it, they want to go make the whole thing because they don't have as many transactions as they did three, four years ago. Now, you're absolutely right. With this competitive uh, you know, environment we're in right now, it definitely um, makes it 
more that these agents are willing to just hold on and and keep type those uh, those clients. But I think uh, it, it ends up making you lose focus on what you intend to do. And if you intend to, you know, market the luxury market or, or be a part of that, I don't think that you can really spread yourself as thin and w- without it end up, it ends up coming off that you don't understand the market that you're trying to attack. Sure. And, um, and everybody that I know that does luxury stays in those areas yeah. or, or at least if they're doing work in other areas, that's not what they're marketing out to the public. You know, and, and it is what it is. Like, listen, like part of the business is marketing what you're doing. Right. Um, the public, they could look up and see what you sold, like you said, but if you're looking to brand yourself a certain way, you don't have to show that you sold a $300,000 home in Keensburg. Right. Like, you control it. You control exactly, the narrative. Exactly. And how do you control your narrative? Uh, I've noticed... You know, it seems like the last, I don't know, maybe a month or so, you've really, like, uh, upped your social. Um, I I enjoy it. You know, I truly enjoy when people put effort into social media. I really do. I don't hate on it. I love it. I think more people need to do it. I think people throw shade and hate at people that that are doing it. And I just go, you should be doing it too. Right. You know, so I truly, I enjoy that. I, I noticed your social media game explode. I'm a little jealous. Um, and I'm going to, fu- I'm going to get to the, the, to the meat and potatoes of that. Cause I'm going to get in on that. But anyway, uh, but you're able to also craft your message even better by doing what you're doing. And I think, um, how, how are you doing that? And how is that affecting your team's growth? So it's, it, first of all, thank you for the compliment. Um, it's not without a lot of pain trying to go on social media and, <laughs> and making a fool out of yourself and your kids being cringy about what they're seeing. So <laughs> that that definitely comes along with it. But it's been an intentionality to it for us. Um, so John, who um, is our marketing director, creative coordinator, part of the push over the last 12 months has been to go deeper into video. What we had been doing for probably the last four or five years is what most real estate agents were doing online, which was, hey, I sold this house. Hey, I listed this house. Hey, this house is under contract. And it doesn't work unless you're unless you're Ryan Serhant and Josh Altman and the guys that are selling 15 to $40 million houses every day. Most people don't care that you sold a condo in Tom's River. <laughs> yeah. They don't. You're absolutely right. And it's, it, it makes us feel good because we're bragging about what we do and you mm-hmm. think that the customer cares about it, but that's not what grows on social media. So you John's really so had to right. kick me upside the head and be like, this is not what works. You <laughs> people need to, don't care. They don't care. You they need don't to, care. You need to provide value and entertainment to people. Yep. So we've really made it a shift into that. So we're growing our YouTube channel now, which we're still in its nascency, right? It's, I think we have less than 100 followers that are on there, but we've got big plans for that. And then I also took some of the sillier stuff and informative stuff that I wanted to do and took it off the business's Instagram profile and brought that more into my personal brand Mm -hmm. so that I could build a personal brand and then anybody who was interested in following the business side of that could just funnel itself over into the business page. Yeah. So, yeah, Instagram Reels has been an interesting learning curve for me. (laughs) I swore that I wouldn't dance on camera and Uh, I I broke that rule already. It is. Well, I mean, it's basically Instagram Reels, TikTok. I mean, it, it... it's all fun. You know, I think if you use it properly, it's amazing. It really is. I, I, the world of social media is amazing. I am surprised by who follows me on TikTok and Instagram. And a lot of times they're not the people that I think would be on there. Right. And I'm like, I, I did a home inspection for someone. She was in a retirement age. And I was like, all right, you know, I'll see you when I see. And she's like, no, I'll see you on TikTok. And I was like... <laughs> I'm like, what? How you're weird is that when somebody comes up to you and goes, hey, Mike, and you're like, oh. uh, do I do I know you? I'll tell you what, my, my wife, she works at a local hospital, and she'll have people come up to her and say, like, hey, your husband, he, he does that podcast, right? I follow him on social media. And she's like, uh, yeah, you know, it. I mean, it's awesome. Uh, I, I, it, It's pretty cool to get deals off of it social media yes. to, uh, I did, you know, another deal that, um, the people were like, Hey, you're the TikTok and ins- the TikTok inspector that we found. And they're taking pictures of me. Like, it, I think it's awesome. And, and you know what, this is the world we're in. This is how we reach people. Yeah. And in the end, this is how people get to know you, you know, 
it's the new way of doing business, right? Is that people would rather do business with someone they like than care whether or not you're the you've sold the most houses. I, we actually sold a house probably about two years ago. I think it was closed right around the beginning of the pandemic in 2021. And I remember sitting down with the owners of that house after we had already put the house under contract and just kind of talking about social media because she was a um, in the PR business. And they had looked before they hired me and found out that I was interested in, like I had a hobby of drinking bourbon and you know was kind of a bourbon snob and that I was a surfer and that I liked playing guitar and I coached my son's baseball team. They wanted to know that part about me equally, if not more than my professional track record. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where social media, where a lot of us go wrong, is just putting our professional track record first when that's not why people are there. Yeah. They're there to learn about you and the stuff that you don't show to people or that isn't publicly visible to everybody. And that's that vulnerability, I think, is where we're going. We're trying to go with it. And I think that's the part that actually helps most people grow on social media. It's really hard for me because I am an introvert by nature. So you put me in a room with a couple hundred people, I will go stand in the corner and <laughs> pretend like I'm talking to somebody on the phone. You know, I, I, we're probably the same person. And, and, and it's funny to say, like, I'm over here, I do a podcast and, you know, um, and I'm comfortable in front of the mic, but uh, I'm a vault. I'm a sponge. I'm the guy in the, like you said, yeah. I'm over there watching and some people are like, is he upset? My wife will tell <laughs> you, like, I'm not the life of the party. If I'm around people I love and I care for, I'm a different person. But if I'm around a lot of people, I'm absorbing, taking it in and uh, just trying to figure out, know where the exits are, yep. know how to properly protect myself and my family. And that, that so uh, we're very similar in that way. And social media it is so hard sometimes to be brutally honest because you're so worried about, you know, perception and did you open the door too much? Mm -hmm. And uh, well, it's also uncomfortable because it's not your nature. If you're an introvert by nature, you don't want to share that. So it's it's a concerted effort to be outward with your information that you want to keep private generally. Yeah. Um, have you ever, I'll ask you a question cause that goes back to me because you're that type of person that's sort of a vault and keeps things in. Have you ever had a reputation or people think you're a prick? Uh, yeah. I mean, my wife will probably say, <laughs> <laughs> she'll, I know I've had that in the past. She'll have people that are like, Hey, what, what's wrong with Mike? You know, like I, I, I'm not always warm and fuzzy, you know, uh, in business I am, I'm, you know, and, and. It's just that's that's the way I am in business. I'm open and, and caring and everything because I actually, you know, my clients I truly care about. I want the best results for them. So that part of me, I think I open up a little bit more that way. Right. But then, um, you know, once the door closes and I'm in my Jeep by myself, you know, I, I kind of shut down a lot and I'm in my own head. And um, and it's, it's the person I am. I'm trying to work on it, but I don't know if I'm going to change at this point. But uh, it does make opening up about other things harder, you know, especially with social media. But I think those things, when you are brutally honest on social, it people, you know, there's more people that are going through what you're going through than you can even realize. You have no For idea. Sure. Um, and I just found this out, you know, I posted that I, I left a career to, to just do this. And I've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages mm -hmm. from people and, and a lot of people that are like, thank you so much for just saying that, like just right. being honest, because in our industry, especially, there's so many of us that are living two lives Yeah, that, you know, they're the manager at whatever company during the day. And then they're Joe, the realtor for everybody else. And they're, you know, Tom, the mortgage guy for everybody else. And everyone's trying to make it or get to that point. And then it's scary when you're jumping and saying like, that's going to be my only thing. Um, but to be brutally honest on social about it, it's, it's very difficult to, to be honest about your, your insecurities and to kind of expose yourself. Um, so you doing those things that you're not comfortable with, that's, that's awesome. But you're doing the same thing, right? So if it's not comfortable for you, like it's not comfortable for me, it's an intentionality to it. It's doing it for a reason, not because you enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm doing it because it's something that I see as a value to the business and to the brand and growing the business. And I just only know one way of doing things, which is if I'm going to do it, I'm going to go full, full steam at it and I'm not going to fail at it. Yeah. And I'm one of the most competitive people you will probably ever meet. So 
when I fail at something or something's not working the way that I want it to, you're upset. extremely frustrated. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Same thing. Like, uh, I have my own plan of how I do things. And, and sometimes my wife, you know, social media has been amazing for me. But it's a lot of work. Right. It's it's not. Um, and, and some people, you know, they can't differentiate the two. There's times I'm on social and I'm just connecting with people. And, and it's not that I'm on there just oh, like looking at reels or TikToks just to laugh and giggle. It's like, hey, I really need to connect with people to build my business, you know. And then once I connect with people, it's great creating relationships. But it's work. It's constant work. It is, absolutely. And I'll, I give you a tremendous amount of credit for that because that's how the first way you and I came into contact was you actually, I think you you reposted on your story a house that we had listed or just sold or something like that. We had no relationship at this point. And I was like, wow, that that he's on here enough to take the time to find people who he doesn't currently work with and try to help us get additional exposure. And then I ended up meeting you at an inspection that a client of ours, Josh, hired you for. And I was like, yes. dude, you're the guy from Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I think, and I think he found me on like Google or something. Um, so there it is, case yeah. in point, you're working. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's, but it's work, you know, and most people don't want to put in work. And I, I just, I was, I was having a conversation with another professional and they're telling me how hard it is. And they're, you know, one of the subcontractors in the real estate world. I don't want to give them up, but it was like every suggestion I gave about, you know, possibly doing something that could uh, help their business. It was like, no, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. And in the end, it, it's like, it doesn't work once. It works when you do it hundreds and hundreds <laughs> and hundreds of times. Like, I connect with people hundreds and hundreds and there's times where I'm like, I don't even know if they're even hearing me or seeing me or whatever. And then I get a phone call and they're like, hey, such and such told me to reach out to you. It's like, okay, they're seeing my message. They're getting it. And and that's what social media does. What you've been doing on social, it's connecting with people. It's resonating. It, yes. it's, you've created a brand that, you know, if I looked at your social, I say, he's a luxury high-end guy and he, he runs a polished team. Right. But you're right. It is it is years of chipping and chipping and chipping and chipping before all finally the tree falls, right? Yeah. And you have to be okay with that. And if you're not comfortable with not getting immediate gratification, don't get into real estate. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, definitely. It is a long haul. We tell anybody that's coming to interview with the team that's going to be in a sales position, do you have enough money to survive for a year? Yeah. Because you can't expect to make your first commission. Don't expect it until nine to ten months in the business. And and if it's sooner, it's a lot of it's luck. Yes. It's that you you got your license exactly when your friend needed to buy a house. And they're like, <laughs> or you got right. licensed because your friend needed to sell their house. <laughs> or because you needed to sell your house. Right. And you were like, hey, I can make some money as well as start a career. Right. Um, but so going back to social, um, how have you been able to implement social media with your other team members? That's a really good question. So John, that's actually here in the studio with us, he runs our business pages. Mm -hmm. um, so he's really in charge of the content that's getting developed, produced, edited, and dropped on there. The stuff that's on my personal profile is just mine. And then the people that are on the team, we make a really concerted effort to highlight everybody on the team. And that's kind of the way the structure of the team is built too. For anybody that's not in real estate, you could be looking at a big name realtor that appears like they sell three, 400 houses a year when in reality they've got 20 people on their team and they take credit for every single one of those sales. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? It's funny. I'm not that putting you... that name out there. No, no, no. I know exactly. I, I probably know who you're talking about. And then, you know, they have all their members submit, you know, repost yeah. stuff. And there's times, you know, uh, obviously I, I reposted one of your listings there and there's a lot of teams I can't repost anything unless if I, sometimes I look it up on, on Flex to make sure, like, who's the listing agent in this? <laughs> who's the real guy behind Because this? I have five different people telling me that they all have a new listing. And I'm like... I, <laughs> and it's I, the same house. I have trust issues because of this stuff. <laughs> Teams have given me trust issues. I don't know who's doing the business. Yeah. And uh, so it makes it hard to repost. Yeah, but, so, but we're, we're not structured that way. We built the team in a way that we want the other agents on our teams to have lifestyles that they that they live great lifestyles. They make great money. They can go on vacations. They can buy the houses they want to buy and they get credit for the work that they're doing. So if you look at the buyer's agents on our team, they, they're the only agent that's on those deals when they close. Yeah. So we're not co-listing. We're not co-sharing. It's not like we're bumping all that volume up to one person. 
um, which is why we try to focus the attention on whoever deserves it on our social too. So you'll see when a property goes under contract with Sabrina, she's the one that's on there. Yeah. If Cree's, you know, representing a, a sale that just closed on the buy side, she's the one that shows up on there. Now, people on the team have varying degrees of comfort level of being <laughs> on social. Yeah. And that's a that's a juggling process for us as well, because some people want to be on there more than not. And you also got to figure out, I know social is important to me, but I don't want to be on camera. How do I use social without my face being on there? And that's a challenge we're working through. Just, you know, it's, it's something people have to figure out. Yeah, that's a challenge for uh, most people with content creation. Um, a lot of people are not comfortable being on camera. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people I'll, I'll ask to come on the podcast and they're like, oh, no, no, no. There's no way I'm going on that. And I tell them, I'm like, it's not that bad. Believe me, if I could do it, you could do it. And and they're just not comfortable at all. And um, and I think, you know, it, it starts even just with IG stories. Like, can you yeah. do that? Could you do an IG story? And if, they're, if they can't do that, if they... For me, I'm not going to put them in a position where they're that uncomfortable, and I'll just pass. But it's um, it's definitely a challenge uh, for people to to get comfortable with, and um, and then it's a challenge for for you as a team leader to sometimes keep that message going. You know, you have to work around that, and and thank God you have some some great staff to yes. help you with that. Absolutely. And great content, too. We've got great content that's being produced, and then we're lucky enough to have the business we have that we've constantly got a great stream of interesting information about the properties, even if we're not just putting out there that this property was listed or sold. We've got cool houses and cool kitchens and things we can kind of focus people's attention on that they like looking at. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm going to switch gears up a little bit, um, and I want to dive into – COVID has definitely created some craziness in this market. Um, it, this is a market that I wasn't a- anticipating when COVID first started. <laughs> I, I had my last, my second to last listing that I had, um, and COVID hit, and the the buyers asked for all this stuff, and myself, the attorney, we were you know dead middle, you know it was when COVID was, it was total lockdowns, and we we're like, hey, take what they could give you because we don't know what it's going to yeah. look like in a couple months. Now, if I was a fortune you know, teller, I would have been like, hold off, tell them to kick rocks because we're going to wait until June and make about another 30 grand. But if you had known that, yeah, there's a lot of things we would have done differently. Oh, absolutely. But <laughs> we would have bought Bitcoin too. <laughs> oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> way late on that one. Um, so in this, you know, COVID economy now, this COVID real estate world, um, what has been some of the difficulties it's created for you and your team? Wow, that's a great question. That's probably got a million different paths we could go off of. First off, I'll lead off with it. I was in the same place you were when COVID hit. We went from putting eight deals into contract a week for our team of four people to, actually it was three people at the time, to goose eggs <laughs> for five weeks in a row. Crickets. Zeros, yeah. just nothing. Just dump every expense we possibly could. Are we going to have this as a career? Are we going to have to get rid of the team? Like, where is this going? And then May 15th hit. And somebody opened the floodgates and what we're going through now started to show itself. Yeah. And nobody forecast that to happen. I mean, realistically, I would never have. If you had given me 100 times to guess it, I would have guessed 100 times no. Yeah, absolutely. So the biggest challenges we're facing are the same thing that anybody as a real estate agent in this business is facing, regardless of how big you are. The listing side of the business, I've got a track record. I, you know, I have a history of being a very top producing successful listing agent, but the inventory is just not there. So the number of properties for me to sell is that much fewer and there's more competition for those. So that's a challenge for me. And then for the business in general that I'm managing and the buyer's agents that are on our team, having them be able to do enough transactions to meet their goals for income and units and volume and accolades and all those things is challenging because you might be writing five to 10 offers for a client before you ever get a deal accepted. Yeah, You might lose a client that's a close personal contact or a past client of yours because they get frustrated that they can't get a deal accepted yep. when they're putting fifty dollars to $100,000 offers over asking price, but they're losing the cash. So it's the same struggles everybody's having. We might just be having them at a bigger scale. But what we've been focused on since the beginning of the pandemic and what has led to success for us is you have to detach yourself from the result. The action does not beget the result. You have to do the actions. And if you continue to do them, they, things will, the results will fall into place. So we just we we don't focus on the results. We don't focus on, okay, well I, I did X number of appointments and it only yielded X number of listings that I took. No, just go make more appointments, go meet with more people. And if you're constantly trying to improve what you're doing, 
more of those things will become a success for you. So yep. sometimes in this in this market, you just got to keep your nose down and just keep working. Yeah. And I'm also just yeah. super, super appreciative for the fact that I've been in the business long enough that I'm not brand new in this, the hardest market in history. Mm-hmm. I've got 13, 14 years behind me to have a track record that people are calling us back or when they're finally ready to buy or sell, we're still in front of them and they're asking for our help rather than being a brand new agent trying to fumble yourself or your way through this, which I can't even imagine how challenging that would be on your own without a mentor or a team leader or somebody to really help you with it. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, new agents right now, if you're, if you're going at it just kind of blindly, it's, um, it's very difficult. It's, it's very, uh, I, I think, this is this this market will wash out a lot of new agents that uh, yeah I think they don't have any help. This is like it's almost it's kind of like the same advice you'd give to a new parent. Trust me, it gets better. <laughs> yes. It gets better. Like just if you can find a way to learn in this yeah. process right now and and not leave the industry, you will be in a good position because you will have grown a business or started a business in the hardest market you possibly could do. So if you're still here in another three years, yeah. you'll be in a good position. Absolutely, and and what's what's funny is people they're like, hey Mike, you must be it, it must be so crazy busy, and I go I go it is busy, I go but when there's so little inventory, it affects us home inspectors too. Yeah. You know, if, if if the agents aren't selling homes because they're getting beat out by a million other offers, I was like, those are the agents I work for, or I work with. And if they're not working, I'm not working. Right. You know, so it, it's a tough market on all of us. And um, and the and public it, perceives it differently, right? Because I get the oh, same yeah. thing. They're like, "Oh man, you must be you must oh, be they loving think- how busy the market is." And it's it's a two sided coin, right? It's yeah, I'm happy because business is really busy and listings are selling quickly, and there's you know price points have gone up. But at the same time, it's not easy. It's harder than it was yeah. three years ago. And I'll take stable over this market. Any day. Absolutely. And and this market does bring in a lot of people into the career field that uh, just see the opportunity. Yeah. And that's it. That's in every aspect, mortgage, real estate, home inspections, because there is a lower time frame of getting licensed and getting your, your, your work out there. That's why no one's doing uh, appraisals. <laughs> it takes too long, yeah. you know, and that's a very profitable career to be in. But if you want to do mortgages, uh, title insurance, stuff like that. You could get into this stuff pretty quickly right now and try to capitalize. Yeah. Um, but so what would be some advice you would give to the buyers out there that have the buyer's fatigue right now? Because I, the, the sellers, you almost, you got the product, you got the drug. It's, it's like everyone's waiting for you to drop the bag. But the buyers, they're the ones that are truly being, you know, fatigued in this, especially the ones that are financing. Um, I don't even know. I think I did three FHA people this whole right. I mean, I, I am like, holy crap. If you're an FHA buyer right now, it, it's it's like you're at a club and you're at the back of the line. You don't <laughs> you don't have a hook. You don't have a name on the list. You don't have nothing. You might not even get to the club before it closes. Your you're money's not home. even green. Yeah, come back next week before you come in. It, yeah. It's like it's insane. So what what's advice you could give those buyers that are experiencing fi- buyer's fatigue right now? So it's a... It, I feel for them. I thought about this last year too. If I was where, when I bought my first house, when I was 23 or 24 years old, I bought my first townhouse. If this was the market, I'd never could have bought. So I feel really bad for people that are at that point in their life where they're ready to buy a house and they just can't, they just can't compete. So the market is flush with more cash than I've ever seen in my 14 years in the business. You've got 30 year olds that are buying houses cash. Yeah. How's that happen? I, I wonder that myself. Well, there's, there, I mean, there's a couple explanations for it. A, you've got people coming out of New York City that have the cash because of the careers they're in, and B, you've got people whose parents have that cash now because they've made enough money in their house that they've got home equity lines of credit or they've got second properties or they have money that they've made in the stock market that they can then divest of, give it to the kids to use to make an offer in cash, buy the house in cash, do a cash out refi on the other side of it, which look, there's, there's a big caveat there. You have to have a family member who's willing to give you the cash to buy the house. <laughs> but that doesn't mean you have to buy the house yeah. entirely in cash. Even if you're an FHA buyer with 3.5% down, if mom, dad, Uncle Jimmy, somebody's got the ability to get you up to 20% or more, how much more competitive are you at that Absolutely. point? Or maybe don't make yourself a 20% down buyer. Maybe keep yourself an FHA buyer at 3.5% down, but borrow that 50 grand 
to cover your appraisal gap. Yeah. And now you present an offer to a seller that's, okay, it's asking price or, t- or 40 grand over asking price. And rather than having the appraisal contingency, you know that's going to knock you back to not being able to get the deal done because you don't have the cash to do it. You've got this cash on the side to be able to do it with and then pay back your family member when you can do so. So that's probably the best advice I can give you is figure out a way to make your offer strong enough with cash to support it in some degree to be able to compete. The second part of it is if you have a house to sell, good luck. If you have to buy contingent on the sale of another property, you pretty much have to look at homes that have been on the market three weeks or longer. Because if something's been on the market right now for three weeks and hasn't sold, it's overpriced. Yeah, That's a house you can get below asking price. That's a house you can probably get a seller to agree to take your contingent offer. If it's a new house on the market, not going to happen. Not going to happen. How about for sellers that um, – I know some markets, they're going definitely always over asking. But some sellers, like you said, go in there thinking they're going to knock it out the park because they're just trying to capitalize. Yeah. Uh, what's your advice for people that have that house that's now sitting on the market for three weeks? You're three weeks on the market at this point. You haven't done a price reduction. You're a week late. Yeah. Normally, it's three weeks. If you're on the market for, th- for 21 days in a normal market – and you've had 10 or 12 showings on the property, but you haven't had any offers, you're 5% off. If you haven't even had the 10 to 12 showings and you have no offers, you're at least 10% off at the property. That's the math we've been using for eight years. It's now just expedited. So if it's 14 days and you haven't gotten an offer, you gotta look at how much traffic you got through there and do a price reduction. Um, And you're right, people are shooting for the moon. They saw the property go up 25% in 18 months but they're going even farther than that. The same premise that existed before COVID hasn't changed, which is you, if you underprice slightly, underprice your property, you stand to go up from there rather than pricing it. Even if it's 30 grand too high, you might end up taking below asking price because you overshot your mark and the market sat you out. Yeah, you wait. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, and I think educated, uh, experienced agents have that mindset and outlook and, and, and that plan because if you, it's better to price it just a little under and let that market take it to where it's going to go. In the end, the market's going to give you the price anyway, right? Yeah, like, but there it, was a danger to that in the past of underpricing it and leaving money on the table. It's a real concern, right? If a property we realistically think should sell somewhere between six seventy-five and seven hundred, and you price the house at five hundred, yeah, you're going to get multiple offers. Yeah, but is yeah. it really going to get to where it should be? Now, you've got. I mean, I've seen mistakes made. Not intention, not people doing it intentionally, but I've seen people list properties that are tenured agents over the last 18 months. They're listing homes that are going 250 grand over asking price, and it's not Montclair. Like we know in Montclair, you've got properties that are selling for 400 grand over asking price. Crazy. Talking about properties that should be selling at the price that they agree to an offer on, but were listed so far below ask below where the market really was for it. You start to question it. Was the was the agent? pricing it aggressively to try to create that type of crazy bidding war? Or had they just not been doing enough business in this market right now to know it's not based on comps? It's based on how many people are homeless. Yeah. How many buyers out there missed the last four houses that hit the market? That needs to be baked into the algebra of figuring out the value of the property in addition to the comps, because it may not just be what the last home sold for. It might be 15% more than that. And this is what uh, an Ivy League education gets you when you're a real estate agent. <laughs> well, I, I, we could probably talk for hours, and uh, but we, we have to wrap this up. But before we wrap this up, I want to learn a little bit more about you. Um, tell me, what is your favorite book? Ooh, uh, I am not much of a reader. In fact, I actually do audiobooks because I fall I asleep. Audio, I I'm an audiobook guy, so that's they, um, they right, count. Right now, I'm actually reading Contagious, which is about growing your social, uh, growing your business through finding ways to be viral. So, um, very good book. You should definitely check it out. Awesome. What's your, uh, favorite TV show? Favorite TV show. Why is it like when you're on air, you completely blank out? Like, <laughs> when, is there TV? Well, TV exists? When, when you're going on, when you're flipping <laughs> through the channels, uh, you know, I always end up on Impractical Jokers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, Practical that's also Jokers on like 23 hours a day. Um, I... What I'm on right now is actually on National Geographic. There's a, uh, I think it's just called Earth. I might be wrong with that, but it's a Will Smith, like eight part documentary series on nature. Really, really cool. And Will Smith does an awesome job. Awesome. All right. Pizza or Chinese? Pizza. Favorite food. Ice cream or cake? Ice cream cake. (laughs) With the little cookie crumbles. The little cookie. 
They are the best. Yes, they Cookie are. Cookie Crunch is the best, especially <laughs> when it gets a little like moist. I don't know. <laughs> You're not supposed to use that that word on. No, here, yeah, right? no, no one likes. Especially when my <laughs> wife hates it. Moist. <laughs> and what is the best advice ever given to you? Listen twice as much as you speak. You have two ears and one mouth. Listen twice as much as you talk. My first boss in medical sales, Larry Silverstein. Um, that was one of the first pieces of advice that he gave me, and it is sage advice because I think, especially in sales business and in real estate, we tend to want to fill the void because we're uncomfortable with waiting for that answer back from the client. Say say what you know, ask the question, and then let that dead air sit for the person to respond. And don't respond until they come back to you with it, and then just listen and make sure your responses are actually answering the question and the problem for the client that you're, you're working with. Awesome. Excellent, excellent advice. All right, let people know where they can find you. All right, so Instagram is probably the most popular place for us. So again, it's at DJ10HOEVE. So at DJ10 Hove is my personal profile, at 10 Hove Realty. So 10 Hove Realty with the number 10. That's our Instagram business page. Um, you can check us out on YouTube, which is 10 Hove Realty Group on there as well. And then on Facebook, you can check out my personal profile or business page, both DJ10 Hove and 10 Hove Realty. And then obviously call me. If you have a house you need to sell, yeah. call me at 201. What's the number? 201-315-9157. Yes, it's a Bergen County. I was going to say 201. Up. Jesus. OG. OG for real. Well, DJ, I appreciate you coming on here. I appreciate everything you've uh, shared with us. And, uh, and I look forward to getting that phone call from you for a home inspection. Maybe it'll be for the $13 million <laughs> listing we got to talk oh, about another time. You know what? I, I think I'd rather pass on that. That's, that's a <laughs> lot of work. Those are a lot of windows, a lot of outlets, a lot of bathrooms, jacuzzis. It's it, 27 minutes to turn all the lights off in that house. Oh, forget it. That's like, <laughs> I'd have to bring a team with me there. But I appreciate you coming out here, and I appreciate everyone for listening to the show. My name is Mikey T. Michael Anthony Timpani, as my mama named me. You can find... Follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Timpani Inspects. You can follow the show at First Timers Podcast Show. Follow my brother company at FTJ Builders, Inc. Celebrating, I don't know, what are we at? 22 years this year, which is awesome. A link to all the websites can be found on social media. Please leave a, re a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play. Share and subscribe to our weekly podcast. Message us with any questions or topics you may want to hear about. And if you're a professional that can bring some value to our audience, please reach out. To together we can learn and grow. I like to end with a quote, and this is from John Maxwell. Change is inevitable. Growth is optional. God bless and have an amazing week, everybody.